Hi. This is another one of those episodes where you're going to watch. Please watch this on YouTube because watch Gabby and I buffer. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> Literally <laughs> listening to how beautiful these insights were all episode long. We absolutely are like no, literally. It's, it's it frankly embarrassing. So Please enjoy. <laughs> Please enjoy. Frankly embarrassing. Please enjoy. Okay, wait. Tell we, them who's on the pod. Vienna Ferran is on the pod today. We got connected to her through the lovely friend of the pod, Mina B. Shout out. Thank you so much, Mina, for letting us steal your best friend for the day because, <laughs> wow, this episode was juicy. Juicy, juicy, juicy. So many good insights in here. So many good journal prompts in here. Questions to bring to therapy, to meditation, things to sit with. Like it was just a crash course. And frankly, her book goes into this even more. I just know we're going to see y'all send us pages of your notes that you take listening to this one. So let me get into it and tell you a little bit about who Vienna is so you can get to know her. So Vienna Ferran is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's one of New York City's most sought after relationship therapists you will see why. And she's practiced therapy for over 15 years and is the founder and owner of the group practice, Mindful Marriage and Family Therapy. She received her master's of science in marriage and family therapy from Northwestern and then trained extensively at the Family Institute, Betty D. Harris Center. Vienna has been featured in The Economist, Netflix, Vice, Motherly. She's led workshops for Peloton, Netflix, and others. And her book, The Origins of You, is a national bestseller. And she's also the host of her own podcast, This Keeps Happening, which we get into how to make that shit not keep happening. Stop. <laughs> it was so fun to get to dig in with her just about these incredible concepts that she so effortlessly breaks down in her book. I mentioned in the episode, guys, if you are like me and like being able to just flip to a chapter in a book when you right. need it and being able to revisit it, this book is specifically made that way because it talks about and names certain wounds. You can go back to that chapter if you're struggling with that and revisit it constantly. It's just such a delicious, info-filled, gentle tool book. Yeah. And so we talk about so much of the book, um, the origins of you and everything that's within it. We talked about why naming your wounds is important. And then we equally spoke about when it's time to move on and uh -huh. make a choice and keep it pushing instead of just mm -hmm. reliving and sitting in that story, because that can obviously be really comfortable. We oh, talked about intellectualizing till you're blue in the face. Not like we know anything about that. Right, 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 right. <laughs> it's just my daily, my daily life. <laughs> We also talked about grief as, <laughs> as we do here. <laughs> yeah, but it was different this time, I will say, because we spoke <laughs> it was, about it in was. terms of grappling with family dynamics and what happens when you actually make a choice to just to accept the people in your life for who they are and to choose to have a relationship with them in whatever way that means for you. And we also, which I think is going to hit for a lot of people because I know it hit for me, we spoke and really dug into the concept of what happens when you are trading your authenticity for attachment. And that can mm. be applicable to any million of different areas in our lives. And also we talked about, which I love, which I love, I love, I love, is the intensity and disruption and grief and loss and all of these other feelings that come up when we move through healing and how healing yeah. is just not this little like perfect phrase that we like to look at that. Yes, it is yet like, you know, can be looked at as a light of the end of the tunnel, but it's not. And it comes with a whole lot more. So this mm -hmm. episode honestly was just such a beautiful conversation about the ups and downs of what healing looks like, of what our journeys look totally. like, about what it looks like to choose yourself 
because mm. we're not really taught to do that. And we're not trust really that equipped with those skills. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was the best. Vienna, you're oh, you know what else hmm. we touched on, which I really love because we often talk about expansion and expanders and spirituality oh, I love that and manifestation. You asked this. Yeah. And we talked about where expanders come in and uplift us and give us that expansion versus where are we outsourcing our self-worth and putting people on a pedestal. And that is something we have not touched on before. And I really loved striking that balance and figuring out oh, yeah. what that looks and feels like. Yeah. And she'll There's have to come back stuff just to, to talk about that because there are so many follow-ups that I have, but I was like, oh, we're already over time. We got to let her go. Absolutely. This was a great episode. I'm so excited for you guys to hear it. And please send us messages if you enjoyed the conversation, if you have any follow-up questions. Please buy her book. Follow her on Instagram. She has the best reels. We're so grateful. Get out that journal and pencil and get ready, baby. Yeah. Enjoy our conversation with Vienna. I'm Meadowlark. And I'm Gabriela. And this is Thoughts May Vary. The podcast that sits at the intersection of mental health, nuance, and community. And we're grateful you're here. And that's me. That's just a little bit about us. Yeah. And. Is that gimmicky (laughs) enough for the people? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome Welcome to Thoughts May Vary. We were just talking offline about the amazing connection of how we met. And I'm just so grateful for all the awesome, amazing people. Shout out me to be. Yeah. Shout out me to be. I know. I know. It's the best, right? When you get the recommendation from someone you really love and respect and admire and yeah, the way the world goes round. So it's it's a nice, uh, yeah, it really is. It's a, it's a nice connection to have, but really happy to be here. Giving me the warm fuzzies already. No, seriously. (laughs) We start every single podcast by asking our guests, what are they currently unpacking? I have a, my, my dad is turning 86, um, Mm. in February And so what has been really present on my mind, and it's been true, like this is actually something that I've thought about for maybe more recently, it feels a little bit more explicit, but I was also the kid who had the older father always. Um, Both of us. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Uh And so, (laughs) yeah. um, And so, yeah, I was, I, I definitely had the oldest dad out of the, out of the friend group by by quite a bit. My dad was 47 turning 48 when he had me. Um, and so, yeah, what is present and I guess to your point, like the unpacking piece is sort of navigating this final chapter and yeah, like what it looks like from all angles. And, you know, part of this is, yeah, definitely personal to my story, but also as a, as a therapist who works with families and couples and individuals who talk about their families, right. I'm, I'm, always thinking about this final chapter and, you know, what it looks like when we, when a parent is coming to, you know, the end of their lives, you know, however, hopefully God willing, there's, you know, more time there, but when they're coming to the end of their lives, like what, how the relationship shifts and if there are things Mm. that need to be said or things that don't necessarily need to be said from both sides, right? And it's not just Mm. from the adult child's perspective, but I think, you know, when it's available, this curiosity around what the aging and potentially dying parent wants to say or or wants to experience or wishes, you know, their adult child might know. And so 
that has been, you know, top of mind for me. Um, I think for, you know, we all have such different relationships. Some people are close with their parents. Some people are estranged and entirely cut off. Some have complicated relationships. Some have accepted and grieved certain things and gotten to a place where they're like, okay, I can be in relationship with you, but it's not Mm -hmm. the relationship that I wish that I could have. Right. So there's so many different ways it could be. And I think there's this sensitivity sort of at the end, um, when that relationship is coming to a sense of completion, right? It's like, what do we yearn for, for, and what do we crave and what do we desire, um, from all of the different, you know, points of view. So yeah, I'm unpacking some complexity around, yeah, like some, some feelings that I have towards my dad right now. Um, and like reconciling them, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like seeing all parts of the man, right? The good, the bad, the not, you know, like the not so great and, and, and really working to reconcile. Cause I think this curiosity of like, what does it look like to get to a place of peace, um, and reconciliation and, you know, do we, do, can all of us get there? Can some of us not? Does peace happen before somebody dies? Does peace happen after, you know? And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, just lots of like percolating pieces around that, but that's, that's Mm. a little bit of what's present, uh, right now. Mm. I knew I had the warm fuzzies for a reason because you're already (laughs) tugging on our heart streets. I mean, both of us were also oldest dad. I lost my dad when I was 17. He was 73. So I, you're preaching to the choir. If you haven't seen Ram Dass's, it's either called Going Home or Walking Each Other Home. I have seen it. Because he has a lot of, okay, I was going to say, he has so much philosophy around holding space for people in that transition. And man, I mean, mine more so happened after the fact, like you're saying, Mm -hmm. what can happen before and what can happen after. But I just found that to be so supportive and really cool, to your point, really cool Mm -hmm. in terms of like, what's your role and what's theirs? And like, what do they get to say? And what do you just accept and work out after and then? And Mm -hmm. it's of course, so unique individual for everyone. Like you said, everyone's relationship is different, but Mm -hmm. we love discussing grief on this podcast because it's (laughs) the common denominator. It's the common human denominator. Like if we're going to destigmatize mental health, let's also destigmatize. Let's talk about death. Like it's going to be everyone's experience. Let's make it a part of like how we can support each other, what we go through, what it looks like. Have you seen Good Grief yet on Netflix? No. Do you know Dan Levy from Schitt's Creek? Yes. Yeah, the best. he so, he's uh, so funny. High, re- high recommendation. Yeah, oh, yes, I'll have to he check it out. just wrote and produced and starred in it. Okay, and it's grief Amazing. that looks very different from what we're talking about with parents, yet sure. really, really beautifully done. I think you'll like it. Mm. I always say, like, when stuck, grieve more. Right? Mm. And I think there's something you know. I agree that we are a grief phobic society and death phobic, right? And obviously when a lot of times when we talk about grief, we are thinking about death. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, grief is actually this experience that I think we miss out on or try to like skip over in so many other moments of our lives too. And obviously we, we do come in contact 
uh, with it when someone passes, but I think we come in contact with it quite a bit more often than that too. And because we don't know how to do it or we don't want to do it or because it's scary to us, right? We sort of move as far away from it. But I, I really feel, at least in my work, what I've seen both personally and professionally is that like the where we are stuck in our lives is where it is that we need to grieve more. And where it is we cannot change the things that we wish that we could change. You know, these things right. that we're like, oh, I'm like, I want to be doing this differently or want to stop dating, you know, this type of person over and over again, or this, this conflict I keep getting into, or this boundary I can't set, even though I promise myself, you know, every single time I'm going to, I'm going to keep it, I'm going to set it, I'm going to keep it with this person. Right. And like when we can't change these unwanted patterns, it's directing us to needing to process something more. Um, and mm. you know, in that right to, to grieve something, right. It's like we mm-hmm. skip over so much. And I think when we're kiddos, and I obviously talk about this, you know, in my book, but like we do go through stuff and some people go through more stuff than others. Okay. Certainly, but we go through stuff and, whether you call it trauma or whether you call it pain or whether you call it wounding, right? Like there are things that we survive as kiddos and we white knuckle our way to the other side. We arrive on Mm -hmm. the other side. But when we are kids and teenagers, like we don't have the skill set to properly grieve, to properly acknowledge. We just get through it, right? We just get by. And yet there's an an experience, right? There are events that shape something for us, right? That set the trajectory for something in our lives and we just get on with it. And I think this like work that we're doing now as adults, right, it's like turning back. And I know it can be scary to turn back because we don't want to like unpack Pandora's box and we don't know what we're going to find. And we just want to keep our eyes moving forward on the prize in front of us. Um, and we don't want to be ungrateful and yada, yada, right. And they did the best that they could with what they had, but we have to look back. There has to be an inquiry there. And it's tough because I think when we inquire and begin to acknowledge and name, you know, the things that ruptured Mm. something within us, it brings us to our grief. It has to, and it's required that we grieve in order for the pain to lessen its grip on us, right? To loosen Mm -hmm. itself, Mm -hmm. right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, a little bit of a departure from, you know, grief and its intersection with death. Um, But I think it's like, I have really found that in order to move anything, you know, in order to heal things, right? We must grieve something. Mm. I've absolutely grieved past versions of myself. Totally. And I found it so necessary to, like, you're so right. I think, I think maybe just to speak personally, that's something I took for granted. Having a lot of loss at a very young age, I lost multiple immediate family members throughout my teens. And I think I've, I guess I didn't fully comprehend how that grief in old versions of myself pivoting into new habits, doing this. Like I, I have my own little tagline of resiliency, which is called choose the or. Like you can Mm -hmm. go down this road and you can kind of know what it's going to be. You can stay stuck in that pattern or you don't have to know what that or looks like, but you start choosing something different. And I, I have recently pieced together how much of mortality salience had in that effect, but I didn't take that the step further to think like, oh, that's meeting grief in each present moment. And that's meeting that Mm -hmm. in various aspects that I didn't expect. See, this is why I love talking about it. Cause we look at the insights we come to when we open the conversation. 
Yeah. I like that you also named that it doesn't need to necessarily be about death because I think a lot of people can relate to the death part, but a lot of people haven't lost people close to them. And like, I'm thinking, I mean, as you're talking, like so many things are popping into my head of like areas in my life where I feel really stuck. And when you said, when you feel stuck, there's, you need to grieve. There's something there you need to Mm -hmm. grieve. I'm like automatically know what it is and automatically Um, know what it is that I'm avoiding. And so I think that's just like a really interesting way for people to get curious about what's going on with themselves. Even the way Mm -hmm. that we started this conversation with the way that you graciously shared your unpacking, it was with, through this lens of curiosity. Mm -hmm that I think is really interesting and less intimidating for people to, to want to like see themselves in and to feel mm-hmm. welcomed into that. Yeah. Yeah. As well. It's where we are stuck is where <clears throat> we are often either in survival mode or we are, um, like there's an adaptation version of ourselves, right? That's presenting, mm-hmm. right? So like yeah. whether it's conflict or a breakdown in communication or breakdown in boundaries, or there's this part of ourselves that we don't like, oh my gosh, I keep gossiping about people. And I can't stand this part. Or like, I'm so judgmental of this person. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I remember um, w- there uh, <laughs> in conflict, um, I have historically had a tendency to uh, prove my point uh, and need to be right. Um, <laughs> <Same>. <laughs> and yeah, okay. And I remember, and I, and this old bridge, um, you know, the curiosity piece as well, because I think like we have got to replace shame and judgment and criticism of self with mm-hmm. curiosity as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And I was in a, I share this story often, but it's, it's just such an important one. I was in a, uh, I was in a conflict with, um, uh, my now husband, you know, then, uh, partner, uh, before we were engaged and I have no clue what the fight was about, but what I do remember is that I was like doubling down, tripling down on proving my point. And Connor's yeah. like, I got it. I got it. I got it. And, uh, and I keep going, I keep going and going and going. And I'm like having this out of body moment where I'm like, Oh my God, Vienna, like shut up, you know? <laughs> and I keep going, I keep going, going. And then finally I'm, I stop and shame comes in, but then very quickly I replace shame with curiosity, right? Like I just mm-hmm. said, so important for us to do. And like, what does, needing to prove my point and needing to be right serve, right? Like, what is it serving? What is it protecting me from? And that question is really important because our, we make sense in context, okay? Mm -hmm. You, all of us, anybody who's listening, you actually, you make sense in context. So does your partner, so do your parents, so do your children, right? But like everybody makes sense in context and our behavior makes sense in context. Now that's not an excuse. I'm always really careful to be like, just because there's context in a story there, it like doesn't excuse Mm. the behavior, right? But it's it's very important for us to understand that there is a story that's creating, right, this adaptive way of being in relationship with people or navigating the world. And when I brought curiosity forward, you know, it brought me back to my childhood. I grew up, I'm an only child. I grew up in a, um, with a mom and a dad. They went through a nine-year divorce process. There was a tremendous amount of gaslighting and manipulation and psychological abuse and paranoia and emotional flooding and highly, highly, highly conflictual uh, relationship. And, you know, my dad was masterful, um, at being quick with his words and 
making my mom, you know, second guess, you know, truth and reality and all of that. And I, I remember, be, you know, being an observer of this and really watching this firsthand and equating proving your point and being right, which my dad could do so masterfully with being safe. Because the alternative mm, was that if you couldn't course. prove your point and you couldn't be right, then you were unsafe, right? You were paranoid. Mm-hmm. You couldn't keep track of things. You 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 were disconnected from self. And mm-hmm. the moment that I made that connection, right, there was so much more compassion, grace for myself. The reason why I share this, one, to prove the point of like why we need curiosity over shaming and criticism, <laughs> but two, because the things that we do right? The behaviors, the parts of the self that we see that we're like, oh, ah, can't stand that. I, you know, and like we are super critical of it's it. And we can't, we're having a trouble changing them is where the grief has to come. Right. And it requires witnessing too, because I needed to witness the little girl who had to watch over and over this dynamic play out. And I had to grieve, right? Just the authentic expression of emotion. Grieving doesn't mean that I have to be crying or, you know, hysterical about something. And I, right, like grieving is just the authentic expression of the emotion that is present when I witness something in its entirety right? When I like mm. see it, right? When I allow myself to connect to it. And so to me, it's like, again, this piece of like where you cannot change something in your life, where you feel stuck, these unwanted patterns that you notice, right? If you can bring curiosity there and look at our, you know, the origin stories, right? If you will, it's going to bring you to something that needs to be witnessed and something that needs to be grieved. The beautiful part, right? is like, I can't just continue on in my relationship relationships, proving my point and needing to be right. That's not going to get me very far. Right. So there's a need to change something. Right. But like I Mm -hmm. could not change that part because it meant safety quite literally for Mm -hmm. me. Right. I couldn't Mm -hmm. change that part until I dropped into the witnessing and the grieving. And that's, you know, again, the point that I'm trying to make here is like where, when stuck, grieve more, when the unwanted patterns can't shake, grieve more. Picking up what you're putting down today, because I recently co-hosted a digital group therapy session with the Mayfair group and my well-being. Mm -hmm. And it was very much like new year, same me. And the whole, (laughs) everything we came back to was approaching with curiosity and really getting curious about yourself and non-judgmental and giving yourself that space. Um, But when it comes to grief, whether it is a death or whether it's, you know, Mm -hmm. a trauma or an old version of yourself, like when it comes to sitting with that more, when is it okay? I guess because I'm thinking about the new year and balancing, meeting yourself wholly where you're at right now with also wanting to improve, when is it okay to just never get over it? Or is it okay to just not get through it? Yeah. I think there's a, right, like this idea of getting over something or getting through something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we grieve as many times as we come into contact with the thing. Yeah. And sometimes that thing might present one day and then it might not present for a decade but 10 years later you know something happens and you are i don't know i mean i'm thinking like a traditional sense but like you know you lose your father and then you know you're maybe walking down the aisle at some point and it's really present for you that he's not there or you know it's like 
and so it's not that it's necessarily that like the grief is going to be in every moment forever and ever and ever, but that it will show up in moments where you're walking down the street and you see a father and daughter together and something about it activates something within you. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so I don't think the goal with grief is to get over something. I think it's to be able to be in relationship with it differently and that there's an evolution with it, right? That happens over time and that there is a capacity in us as the human being to be able to hold it when it needs to present itself to us, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, hopefully we all have a lot of life left here. And in that, right, all of these moments, these these moments that do hold grief for us are going to represent themselves in ways that maybe seem obvious to us where you could say like, I know 20 years, like this is going to suck. This is going to be so hard for me to have this moment. And then there's going to be all of the ones that are super subtle that we know nothing about because they're just going to hit us from left field. And you didn't even see it coming because it's this random moment that just Mm -hmm. unfolds in front of you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I would probably move away from the idea that there is a getting over and move more to this like empowerment of I can be with it when Mm -hmm. it appears. And I think Mm -hmm. when we spend time with it and we have a more intimate relationship with it, there is a sense of empowerment of like, I know it might not be easy, but I trust that I can face it, you know? Mm -hmm. And Yeah, like that feels so much more important. But I think we chase this idea that like, I'm going to get to like, there's another side, you know, and you're like, Mm -hmm. I just got to get to the other side. And I, listen, I think there's like little other sides that we probably can get to where we're like, (laughs) okay, it feels a little bit more, you know, but then you're like, there's going to be another hurdle. (laughs) There's there's going to be another one down Uh the road there, right? And I think the more that we are aware of that and um, capable to face that, Right. Like that is us then like, okay, life is sometimes hard and there are going to be things that are deeply confronting to us. But I, because I know how to be with this, when it presents itself again, open arms, I will learn what it is that I need to learn right? I will feel what it is mm-hmm. that I need to feel. And that, you know, maybe that sounds like, oh, that's nicely packaged and, um, it, you know, it's, it's raw and, and rough and it tumbles a little bit more than that. But mm-hmm. I think there is something to this like sense of self-trust of I can face this and I will face this. Yeah. You mm. took the idea out of my head. You might have a little intuition abilities going on because <laughs> I was very open on Instagram this past week about having a big grief day recently, 13 years mm-hmm. after my father passed. And yeah. I eloped like three months ago and eloping mm-hmm. kind of brought up more sensitivity sure. towards him in general recently. So you got a little psychic intuitive thing going on today. Yeah. Fiona. But <laughs> yeah. I also immediately while you were speaking, went to that self-trust because whether it is grief in this death sense or grief in terms of working through some sort of trauma or trigger and, Mm -hmm. and meeting yourself on the other side and accepting what it is and still getting to those small hurdles. Like a lot of that feels like developing the self-trust to know you can meet the grief in the present moment whenever it comes back up and knowing you have the tools for folks that maybe don't know how to trust themselves, have lost trust in themselves on certain decisions. Like what are the first steps for working with that? If that doesn't land with you yet? If you don't maybe think you have the tools for that. 
Yeah. So, you know, all of my work is, I think I mentioned already, I'm a marriage and family therapist. Um, I work with individuals and couples and families within the context of looking at the family systems that we grew up in. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I bring that forward in response to this question is for so many of us, our sense of self-trust or intuition, um, connection to self gets ruptured uh, when we're kiddos. And there's a disconnection, you know, oftentimes people say like, you know, children are like the most conscious people in the room. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh yeah. Right. And it's like, <laughs> oh, right, yeah. like they are online, they see it all, like their intuition is spot, like it hasn't been stripped away from them yet. Yeah. And sometimes that happens through society and culture, um, media, et cetera. And, all, and a lot of times though, it can happen in the family system. And I really believe that we all kind of come into this earth as intuitive beings and mm-hmm. that there is a relationship with self that is there. And then over time, things start to strip away at it. So we as kiddos might notice something, but the adults might say, no, 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 that's not true. Um, it could right. be like, it, it, it's, it could be that simple and almost that totally. harmless actually, right? Where you're like, totally. oh, why is mommy sad? And, and somebody's like, mommy isn't sad. Mommy's definitely sad, you know, right? Yeah. Or, right? So it's like, sometimes we do these things, sometimes the adults do these things as a, a way to protect, but actually what winds up happening is a stripping of relationship with self, a relationship with knowing, a relationship with truth, or, you know, on the if we sort of move down the scale a little bit, right? Like family secrets, flat out lies, Mm -hmm. betrayals, Mm -hmm. right? Like these things that maybe rupture it even more. And so Mm -hmm. when we're, when somebody's sitting here listening here and they're like, yeah, I got no self-trust, you know, it's like, I don't even, I don't even know what that is. Like I, I, like I can't follow through on anything. Like I don't, I don't know whether it's just me being afraid or if it's my intuition, I I can't tell the difference, right? Like Mm. oftentimes I bring people back to where it is we, we lost our relationship with it first. And so to me, that maybe is a nice place for folks to start is this, this, and whether you believe it or not, but just say like, okay, I'll humor Vienna for right now and say like, let's say I was born with intuition. You know, let's say I was born with sense of self. You know, did I have any experiences that made me question myself? Right. Mm -hmm. Where were those experiences? Right. Where, where, where did I have that? Do, and, and there might be certain things that stand out to folks right away. And maybe there's things that are a little bit more subtle, but I think there's, um, there's, there's a valuable inquiry there for looking at if there is anything that does stand out to us in terms of the loss of that. And then I always love this question. Cause again, remember like things serve something. So what does it serve for me to not trust myself? Does it make me rely on other people, Mm. right? Does it make my partner feel more needed by me? Does it make my partner feel like they get to make more decisions and that's good for them? That, right? Like there's, uh, our behaviors serve a function, right? Mm, And so even if it's dysfunctional, right, it still serves a function. And so I would ask each person to really inquire, like, what does not trusting myself serve in my life, in my relationships? Does somebody else benefit from it? 
right? And begin to inquire about that because sometimes it's like, you know, you might sit here and say, well, I want to have self-trust. You know, that, that sounds right. like the right answer. You know? um, but yeah. if you look really closely, oh, if I have self-trust, does it mean I have to leave this relationship? <gasps> you know, if I have self-trust, what's the consequence of that? If yeah. I actually started to listen to myself, shit, what does that mean for me? Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's like, we have to remember, I'll keep saying it, right? Like it's, there's a function to it. And sometimes our lives sort of get held together by operating in a certain way, right? And this idea that like, yeah. oh, if I actually stepped into self-trust, right? Because this is, listen, this is a muscle that we can absolutely redevelop. Yes. Like we can get there, right? But if I, what would change if I trusted myself? Oh, I would speak up more right? Oh, this relationship would end. Oh, I would whatever, leave this job or I'd change something. Right. And so sometimes the, the status, yeah. Right. Like the status yeah. quo can be yep. so much more comfortable, right. Then, oh, yeah. right. Like if I actually listened to source here, you know, mm -hmm. what would that require of me? And what is, and in answering that question, you know, does the answer scare me or confront me mm. in some way? So those are some good places, Such I think. Juicy for, and, yeah. Uh, that's yeah. I I mean, so much was coming up for me when you were talking, and it just reminded yeah. me of this section in your book where you talk about the concept of trading authenticity yeah. for attachment. Oh yeah. and I think that is such an interesting concept to dig into. And I'd love to hear your thoughts mm -hmm. on what that looks like because you just brought up such a beautiful point of it's very easy for us to remain in these patterns because it's frankly terrifying to see what happens after. Totally. I went the through, unknown, right? exactly. Yeah. When I was 22, I've talked about it on the podcast a million times. I went through something called the Hoffman process. And mm -hmm. part of that was relinquishing, you know, like giving up these old patterns and getting rid of them. And then we sort of had this like day in between getting rid of it and introducing new behaviors. And I remember mm -hmm. walking through that day and telling my teacher, I was so angry. And I was like, mm. I felt like angry and then like numb. And I was like, I feel like I have a gaping hole in the middle of my chest. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do because I now know, I don't know who I am. Because if I just yeah. got rid of all of these things, am I just like a shell of a person? Like what is going on here? And it was so profound for me to then, he was like, just wait, sister, <laughs> just wait. Cause then next came the introduction of new behaviors and actually like living within your authenticity and being able to not live on autopilot and choose those things for yourself. And I think we so often see whether it's us or people we love moving in a way that is them over and over again, not choosing themselves or us not mm. choosing ourselves. And no wonder because society doesn't teach us to choose ourselves, especially right. as women. So I'm yeah. just wondering what that if there's ways for us to be able to spot that behavior mm. and then make a shift and what that shift can look like and like how we can mentally prepare to have the strength, which is what it takes and the courage to actually make a change. Cause we know we might lose someone yeah. or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, it's really, I mean, thank you for bringing this up because I think it's one of the scariest parts mm -hmm. of, you know, healing, you know, is like, yeah. Yeah. we know that on the, it's like, it's not rainbows and butterflies. It's not like, it's not this walk in the park. Like there are consequences. You don't get, you don't get the outcomes that you always want, you know? And I think, I think 
you know, we have to actually be able to tolerate that. Um, and I think sometimes when you hear about healing, you know, it, it kind of, it sounds so nice. The word itself sounds nice, right? Healing. <laughs> <You know>? mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, there's probably a different word. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're healed now. Yeah. We're healed now, right? Self-actualized. You're like, I've been through this before. And it like, definitely doesn't feel like that. Um, I, I talk a lot about how important it is to be able to tolerate the consequences of choosing ourselves, choosing authenticity. And I'll share a story. Um, I, in my late 20s, I was dating someone, uh, what felt like a very serious relationship at the time. His ex came back into the picture, um, wanted to be back with him. And he was trying to decide whether to stay in the relationship with me or to go back into the relationship with, with this woman. And, you know, cue my like people pleaser, uh, fly under the radar, like uh, therapist, I can understand all context. So this must be so hard, uh-huh. but, you know, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> right. Like all of those parts came online. It's like this, you know, like I said, like, absolutely. Gosh, like, yes, yep. you know, take the time that you need, yada, yada, yada. And I stayed in that for like a couple of weeks and I eventually had a conversation with a friend where it clicked in and I was like, oh, wow, like I'm in the same exact role with this Mm -hmm. person as I was as a kiddo in my family system. Uh, Chaos, but don't want to be too disruptive, fly under the radar, pretend like you're fine, pretend like everything is fine, Mediate. pretend like you're unaffected, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, finally, like the voice came, right? And there was like this, there was this clarity. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do the thing. And I call him and I say, you know, this, it, this really doesn't feel respectful and I'm not okay. And I'm not okay with what's going on. And I'm going to remove myself from the situation. And, you know, that was the final time that, you know, I ever spoke to him and, you know, I don't know if it's surprising or unsurprising, but what happened next was not a mic drop moment. You know, what happened next was not like, I'm so empowered, right? What happened next was the the damn consequence, right? Was yeah. the thing that was like me on the bathroom floor, sad and crying for months because I wanted that relationship to work out. And I wanted him to come back to me and say that he had made the mistake and yada, yada, right? Like, you know, the thing mm-hmm. that so we've probably all fantasized about at one point or another. And, you know, it's like, I, I re- that story stands out to me so much because to choose ourselves sometimes, right, to actually live in the authenticity, to to reconnect with self-trust, to set the boundary, to communicate honestly, to say how you really feel does not always get you the gold star. In mm-hmm. fact, probably most of the time it doesn't as if if by gold star you mean the outcome you think you want but with a little bit of wisdom right which happens when you've got a little bit of space from the moment what you realize that the gold star is is a reconnection with self an honoring of self a respecting mm-hmm. of self right the gold star is the authenticity even though it means that you have to lose people along the way it's hard to see it in the moment, but again, with some wisdom and growth, evolution, et cetera, and healing, right? Um, <laughs> you can make contact with that. But I think it's very important, you know, to your point, Gabriella, like that 
you understand that when you confront these things, it will likely not be a walk in the park, right? That when you Mm -hmm. confront these things, you will most likely be asked to tolerate something that feels intolerable in the moment, Mm -hmm. right? Like to actually Mm -hmm. face that thing and be in the consequence, the thing that you've worked so hard to avoid, the relationship ending, people being disappointed in you, people not liking you, whatever it is, right? This thing that feels intolerable, right? I don't want to be left. I don't want you to not like me. I don't want you to not feel pleased by me. I don't want you to feel like you're not a priority, whatever it might be that you Mm -hmm. are upholding, right? And so we operate in the world trying to keep those things in place, right, for a period of time. And then when you pull the pin out, you know, you're just like, "Uh uh-oh. There's going to be an explosion, right? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and there and there is, but I think there's just something to almost like the preparation for for knowing that yeah, it's going to be a little bit tricky and it's going to get a little messy for for a moment. But I, but this is the piece again. What I was saying to you before, Meadow, is like, but I can trust that I can get through a hard thing, exactly. and you know, that's hard for some of us, you know, that's, that's at the core of attachment, right? Is this like, and, and that's with our, you know, primary caregivers in, in the beginning, right? Is this idea that we can get through hard things together, right? Mm-hmm. That when I draw crayons all over your newly painted walls, like we're going to get through this hard thing together, right? When I mm-hmm. flush your expensive wa- watch down the toilet, like we're going to get through hard things together. That That's the kiddo stuff, but it, it develops, right? As adults to this place of like, I can face hard things. And mm-hmm. for people who don't know that they can face hard things with people because they didn't have that experience, right? then it's much harder to trust and believe that like, I can get through this thing. I can get through this complicated, challenging, confronting thing. And I am going to get to the other side of this moment. Matt and I are just both like, (laughs) so juicy. Yeah. Going through our entire thing. No, truly (laughs) taking inventory. Two major things came up for me in that. And I don't, I'm not going to ask you 700 questions at once. So I'll start, (laughs) I'll start with this one because I love, how in your book, The Origins of You, it's in the table of concepts, like your chapters are broken out. Yes, look how pretty the book is. It's (laughs) broken down like by the wound, which listen, I love a helpful book. And as somebody who reads a lot of self-help books, I'm like, can you get to the part that's about me? So I think this is great for people because then they'll pick up the book and they'll be like, oh, this is what I'm feeling. And they can go through that. And we've talked a lot about in this podcast with you today, like about why it's important to name the origin of a wound. Mm -hmm. I'm curious when it when does it get to the point where it's just time to 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 stop digging mm-hmm. through the past and like actually make a choice to move forward because I know mm-hmm. I mean I've done it I think we've all done it mm-hmm. and like I know so many people who are in therapy currently with the same therapist for a decade and like they're still talking about the same shit mm-hmm. and I'm like okay, sounds like you don't want to make a choice to move forward because this is comfortable and it's easy to like point fingers and blame and be like, well, they did this and this is what happened in my childhood. And like, yeah, whether it's the blame game or whether you're just living in the self-awareness hell where you have all this information and you're like, shit, what do I do? (laughs) Mm -hmm. When, when does it get time to just, you got to take the step. I love that self-awareness hell. I need to use that. Um, Sometimes the self-awareness hell 
and the digging is a distraction. And it's sometimes hard to notice that in ourselves, Mm. which is why it's very important to have not just a therapist, but, you know, a therapist who can see that, you know, I think sometimes it's like, we have to, you know, if we're, if we're fortunate enough to, to work with someone, right. It's like to, to work with somebody who can see you, right. Who can see Mm. what it is that you might be doing. And I do think that people can very much get lost in the story and can very much get lost in the digging and don't see that as a distraction away from whatever, what, what the next steps are. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I can keep rotating in this story and I can stay here and never have to change, you know, never have to Mm -hmm. do anything about it. I think what you notice in the book is like, yes, naming it does feel important to me. Right. I I, I think we have to like turn our heads for a moment, but I'm very clear in the book, like we're not staying here forever. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, this is not, you know, it's like we're in and then we're moving, you know, it's like, but we've, we, so we have to see it. We have to address it. We have to name, we have to acknowledge it. But I think that if you have hung out there for a while, um, without starting to move through, the like witnessing, the grieving, the like change piece, you know, it's like that, that is pointing to something. And for some folks, right. It's like hanging out in that self-awareness hell. It's a part of their identity. Who am I without the story? You know, who am I, right. Like what, what happens to me if I do change, you know? Mm -hmm. And again, going back to what I was saying before, this idea of like the behaviors serve a function. So if I've, if I'm hanging out here, for a really long time. And listen, that's subjective. Like I, I don't necessarily want to say like it's, you know, six months or a year, you know, but it's like right. to ask yourself the question of what does it serve for me to still be here? Right? Like what is the function of me still mm-hmm. being here? Well, it allows me to stay pissed at m- this parent or it allows me to have good stories to tell to my friends and that's what is entertaining to them. Or it'll, you know, like, I mean, it could be endless things, but I think, you know, 10, and I don't know if you're exaggerating, but, uh, you know, 10 years is a real thing that is objectively a long time to not notice shifts and changes and to, Mm -hmm. to step into the driver's seat of your own life. And I think sometimes, you know, it's like, I say, you know, we can be victims of course, to plenty of things that happen in our lives, but there is a point in which, you know, it's like, yeah, the storyline can be this thing happened to me. Okay. hundred percent. But if we stay in the victim position only, you can't heal from that place. Not victim shaming, not victim Mm -hmm. blaming, right? I know this is a touchy, right? But it's so important to heal, right? So like, yeah, something can, you can absolutely 100% have been a victim of something, okay? And if Mm -hmm. you only, not sometimes, right? Because sometimes we have to move in that space, move it. But if you are only right? In that position, but you cannot, there can't be a healing growth from that mm-hmm. place, right? So it's mm-hmm. okay. We have to slow into that place. There's a lot that has to happen there. Okay. But if we hang out in that place, if we only spend time there, right, then, then there isn't a place for movement. 
right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, again, it kind of brings me back to that question of like, okay, I've been here for a long time. What does it serve? What is the function of me staying here, right? And what is that blocking me from? It's a confronting question for people. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, sometimes we can self-reflect and other times, you know, we have dear friends who can lovingly say, hey, like, I know you've been seeing this person for a while and, you know, I love you and I want to see you like reach your goals. And I'm just curious, you know, what you feel like you're getting out of still digging, you know, Mm -hmm. like, what are you looking for? You know, what are you trying Mm -hmm. to find there? And sort of opening up that question. Cause again, we don't want to be critical and we don't want to be shaming of Mm -hmm. people in their process. But I think there's like a little bit of that digging to say like, what do you, what's the benefit of staying here? Because mm. there's a benefit, mm-hmm. right? There's like, there's a benefit of staying, even if it's dysfunctional for the person, right? But it's like, there's right. a benefit in their yeah. experience for staying there. Mm-hmm. I love my therapist and I get to see them and we get to talk, like I, I get to feel seen and heard. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's it, right? You know, it's like, again, it could be endless reasons, but that inquiry, right, is so, so, so important. And so if you're listening yeah. and you're like, oh, like I've been in therapy for 10 years, <laughs> like, you know, self-identifying <laughs> right now, you know, yeah. very gently, you know, becoming curious about like, all right, what do I gain from being, right? Mm-hmm. What is it protecting me from? We love to say our trauma has skill sets, which is saying the same thing. Like it protects totally. us from something. In that same in that same vein of deciding to take that next step and moving into a new behavior, we talk a lot about, you know, mother wound here. And it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily, I'm not just saying that like about our literal moms, but just like mm-hmm. this relationship that we mm-hmm. have with our parents. And I think it's really interesting as we get older and as we you know, get more comfortable in our adulthood and our, in our own, start to like disseminate what, what's us, what was, you know, conditioning, what parts of my conditioning do I enjoy and want to keep and remain. But it's, it's always this interesting dance of like deciding who we're going to be and how we're going to move in the world. And that might, as we've called out in this episode, cause friction with people that we love Mm -hmm. and it can cause friction with our parents. And oftentimes it can be seen as a direct threat to them because they feel like we're just doing whatever it is, whether we're blaming, we're Mm. removing ourselves, whatever. It's like seen as this threat. Mm -hmm. I find myself often having this conversation with my friends of what would it just look like if we just like accepted them for who they are? Because it's not our job to change them, A. B, that's probably not going to get us anywhere because more friction and bigger gaping holes in the relationship and distract you from what's going on in your life. So what would happen if we were to just accept these people for who they are? And, you know, mm-hmm. even as you were talking in the beginning about this relationship dynamic with your father, which I really relate to, of just like getting to a point where you're like, they're not going to be around for that much longer. Let me just enjoy this time. Mm-hmm. And like where, yeah. where I don't know, it's it's just an interesting thing that I feel I talk a lot about with people and I hear people talk a lot, a lot about, but then don't often do because we want to please our parents. Mm. So I wonder like from your perspective, what that could look like in just choosing to have a positive relationship, at least from your end with a parent Mm -hmm. when they're not going to change. Yeah. It's a great question and it's, um, and it's a hard one, you know, because 
I, I, I do think that ultimately the path is one of acceptance. Um, and acceptance doesn't mean that we necessarily have a relationship with them or that we're close to them or that we even like them. Um, it can mean that, but it doesn't have to. There is, mm. there is something really important about getting to a place where we no longer need to change them and work tirelessly at getting them to change or getting to them to be the parent that we wish that they could have been, or, you know, they, they could, they could be right now. And I think so many people spend a lot of years, uh, trying different things, you know, trying to like get the parent to acknowledge the thing or get the parent to apologize for the thing or, Mm -hmm you know, get them to operate differently. And sometimes we write them letters and sometimes we say it really kindly and sometimes we scream it at them or so, you know, whatever it might be. And, you know, ultimately I think there is this place of like acknowledging that there is something unchangeable here. And I I don't say that like, obviously people can change, um, but it can only come from them. And, Mm -hmm this idea that I'm going to somehow convince you or inspire you to create the change is a spend of time. I think that is often, you know, wasteful for us. Um, and that's tough because I think for a lot of like adult children, kids, right. Where you're just like, but if I was important enough or I mattered enough to you Mm. or like, why, you know, and, and so we go down this path where we just like are constantly negotiating and bargaining, you know, with ourselves and with them to get to the outcome that we want instead of accepting and seeing the person, you know, who it is that is in front of us. And so I, I don't sit here and say like, no parent can change. Of course, you know, anybody can change at any time, but it's just self-driven, self-motivated as opposed to other motivated. And I think as adult children, it's like there's a deep connection to if I can get you to change, it means this about mm-hmm. me. You know, you love mm-hmm. me enough. Yeah. You care about me enough. You prioritize me enough, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, and guess what? There's grief in that too, right? This like, we, mm-hmm. this is, you know, a com- we hear people talk about like, you know, grieving the fantasy of the parent that you wish you had, right? And yeah there's grief there that we don't have the relationship that I would exactly like to have. And that might be true for the, for the parent as well to, you know, I think sometimes we take the adult child perspective, uh, in these types of conversations and forget that parents too might have some feelings and opinions about their children and, you know, they might not like the way that that relationship is too. How dare um, they? Yeah. How dare <laughs> right. But I think, you know, one of the things that I try to kind of nail home in the book is, and I, I think, again, I'm so careful of like context really helps us, but is not an excuse. Mm -hmm. There was an exercise at the end of the book, um, from a psychotherapist researcher, Michael Kerr, that says, think of your mother as your grandmother's daughter and see how the perspective changes. Right. And I, I love that not because we're here to make excuses for people's behavior, but because it's valuable to remember that we were all tiny humans in complicated family systems that have layers and history to them. 
And that each of us was this tiny human who is moving through this imperfect, flawed system that maybe we know a lot about or maybe we know very little about. And I think sometimes when we kind of hold that peace and then we remember that like their behavior serves a function as does mine, Mm -hmm. right? Like, and Mm -hmm. you start to pull these pieces in, right? It's like, we realize that we are humans who are walking around either trying to protect ourselves, right? Which is where we can oftentimes be stuck, right? And unmovable, unchangeable, right? Or we're humans who have changed our relationship with safety. And so we can actually expand and evolve and change, right? And so when we, it doesn't change the sadness, you know, it doesn't change the grief um, of like, oh, I can't have the relationship that I wish that I could have, Mm -hmm. but I think it can change the tune around it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think the goal going back to your question is, you know, maybe getting is probably getting to that place of acceptance with each person deciding what that means in terms of like what the actual relationship looks like in the day in, week in, week out. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, no, not everybody is going to get to a place where it's like there's only a little bit of time left. Like, let's enjoy it because there's history there that sometimes isn't addressed, or you know, there's emotional immaturity or there's abuse or there's, you know, the endless kind of list of things that it could be that make it hard for us to be in contact with someone who cannot, cannot, right? Not always, not will not, right? But who cannot do it any differently. And so I do think it's a personal decision ultimately, right? To decide Mm -hmm. like, in what way do I want to be in relationship with you? But I think the gift for self is getting to a place where we can accept that this is who is in front of me, right? Mm -hmm. That that is not changing. And if we're really, really lucky, that compassion and grace might enter the story a little bit. Because I remember that you were a tiny little human who grew up in a complicated family system and right, Mm -hmm. your behavior Mm -hmm. is just trying to protect you from something, right? Like, like, Mm -hmm. okay, if we're lucky, right? Like we can do that, but that doesn't change. I want you in my life necessarily, right? Or like, mm-hmm. oh, I want to see you every Sunday for dinner or what, you know, whatever it might be, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, that is a personal decision. But I do ultimately think that the goal of acceptance is a beautiful one that can offer a little bit more peace, not maybe not necessarily entire peace, but a little bit more peace than being at odds with them. My husband said something insightful about my mother recently that rocked my world. And I was walking around with her and she was just like making little comments. And in my head, I was like, Ooh, that's judgmental. Ooh, that's where I get that from. Oh, I don't like that. And I was sharing it with him later. And he he called my mom a hot girl of the seventies. He's like, babe, your mom is just a hot girl of the seventies. Like she's from a different era. She's seeing people through that lens. And I was like, Oh, like that was such a funny way for me to be like, Oh my God, she totally is a hot girl of the seventies and she's kind of a bully for that, but that's also iconic. Like it was a fun way for me to separate my piece in that and see her as her own self. Yes. But I think why that was fun and silly and not heartbreaking or now it's my, she gave that to me or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's because I had that self-worth and that space, that awareness in between like me and my reaction to her and who she is as a being 
and you said something about self-worth that recently also rocked my world because we've been looking, or I should speak for myself. I've been looking for expanders recently and expanders for us are people that have something or some version of something we want that we can see ourselves in that kind of expand my worldview to believe that it's possible for myself. And I've been looking for this a lot in career. And you said something about self-worth's role in putting people up on a pedestal. And mm -hmm. I, since hearing that, have been grappling with the balance between this expansion and looking up to someone and seeing something for myself and them that maybe shows me a path that it's possible for myself mm -hmm. and where that leans too heavy into where am I losing my self-worth by putting them on a pedestal? Yeah. So I'd love mm. to hear you speak more to that because that balance I've been grappling with yeah. ever since hearing you say that. When we put people on pedestals, it's not an expression of what we feel about yes. them. It's an expression. Of, it's an extension of like a lack of self-worth uh, for the self. For us. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, like I, listen, I really believe that, um, we want to be around people who inspire and totally. expand us. And I, I think that that's beautiful, but I, I love that inquiry to be like, whoa, well, hang on. Like, how am I feeling about myself in this moment? Right. Cause I do think it's right. fantastic to be around people mm -hmm. who challenge us and, you know, yeah. they, you, you see something in them that you're like, Ooh, like I want to develop that within myself or, you know, I want to go after something like that too. But I think there's something where we, we, uh, like to that they would feel that way about you too. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that like, that I also have something to expand and offer and mm -hmm. inspire. Right. So when we put ourselves on equal playing fields and it's interesting because I, I, you know, obviously you're talking about this professionally, but I feel this way, uh, in romantic relationships too. Um, totally. Like this idea that both of us feel like the other one is just like slightly out of our leagues. Um, and like this, right? That this idea, right, that you both, both feel of lucky. us simultaneously feel lucky, right? Yeah. And yeah. that that's the piece, right? Is like we're right here with each other and we both have something that the other one's like, wow, how'd I land mm -hmm. that? You know? And that I think is like beautiful about friendships too. And it's, listen, I, I, I you know, I, I, run workshops and retreats. And I'm always struck, but no longer surprised when, you know, the 70 something year old and the, you know, young 20 something year old get partnered for something. And, you know, by the end of the, the workshop or by the end of the retreat, you know, they're like, I didn't think I was going to have anything to learn from this person, you know, and I couldn't have been more wrong. And the reason I bring that up is because I think sometimes, you know, we can have mentors or we can see people who are way further along in life than we are. Um, and so because of that, they maybe have accomplished certain things that like we just don't even have the opportunity to do, to do yet. Um, and yet, that relationships should still have reciprocity, right? Mm -hmm. It should still have like even this young 20-something-year-old is going to be able to offer this 70-something-year-old this beautiful perspective in a way that they didn't even know that they needed, you know? And, I, and, I, and so Absolutely. kind of back to your question, right, is like, yeah, beautiful. Be inspired by people. At, there's incredible humans inspiring people doing amazing stuff constantly. But to not let that be about putting yourself down, 
right? And to be mm-hmm. very mindful of that, right? Is that like we have to pull ourselves up and we have to see ourselves in that way. And if we're struggling to do that, there is an inquiry there as to why do I not feel this way about myself, right? What has stripped away my sense of worthiness or my mm-hmm. sense of value um, or what has determined it in the past, right? I talk about this in the worthiness chapter, right? But it's like all of my performers and pleasers and caretakers and perfectionists, right? Like hands up, right? There is a condition there. Your worthiness, (laughs) your value, right? Is, is conditional based on performing, pleasing, being perfect, right? Getting the straight A's, being a fantastic athlete, making jokes at home and being the comic relief, you know, whatever it might be. And so, yeah, it's a, I'm glad that that struck you and became a moment of inquiry to be like, oh, how, yeah, what, how am I treating myself in this moment? And to, and to dig into that a little bit further. Yeah, exactly. To end today's conversation, I wanted to talk to you a bit about your closing chapter, Making It Stick. And mm-hmm. I know we we already talked about what you call, I have it here, what you call the twin demons, repetition and opposition of like what happens <laughs> when you don't actually yeah. step into the knowledge that you've learned. What does, and you call it integration in the book, mm-hmm. what does that look like? What does that feel like? And how can people identify it when they're living? Yeah. It? Well, I, I do think it, feel, it feels like authenticity, but... Mm-hmm. In order to get there, you know, like mm-hmm. this is, you know, when we were growing up and you're like five steps to get a, like to get oh, the, God. the, yeah. right. it doesn't work like yeah. that, my friends. Okay. Yeah. So like it's messy. You're doing a do do like some ways, yeah. some moments it's forward, some moments it's backwards. And so we've got to like bring the bar down really low here. <laughs> I walk people through an origin healing practice. And I really believe that like when we do the naming and the acknowledging of the pain, and then we do the witnessing, and then we do the grieving, like that's the thing that allows us to to have more self-awareness, more relational awareness, more inquiry with self, more curiosity, right? Like, and so when we do that, we start to expand the the space between stimulus and response. The you know, quote that's attributed to Viktor Frankl about like between stimulus and response, there is a space and in that space, right? And it's like, when we start doing this work, we understand ourselves better. We recognize, oh, like I got activated in this moment. I'm about to like go off on this person or for me, it's like, I'm going to prove my point and I'm going to prove, like tell you how it is. Right? And, but because I know myself so well, and it doesn't mean that I never do it, but because I know myself so well, because I am aware of my origin stories, because I have the context, right? Because like then the the space widens and there's a moment, mm-hmm. right? Where like I can catch my breath as opposed to like I went from zero to a hundred in like a millisecond. There the the second expands for a while. Mm-hmm. And in that expansion is choice. Mm-hmm. And in that choice is an opportunity to do things the same old way that get us the outcome that we know what is familiar, or there's an opportunity to choose growth and healing mm-hmm. and expansion. 
And mm-hmm. again, I don't say this like, this is all it is. And right? like, this is hard work and it takes a yeah. while, right? But there is something very beautiful. And that is what integration is, is like, mm-hmm. I have done the work to know myself well. I've done the work. And if I'm in relationship, I want to know my partner well, right? We've done the work to understand these pieces. And in that, right, we have these moments where I have a choice, of going to what is familiar or going to a place that is new and knowing that like, if I choose this place that is new, right, that if I choose to open my mouth and speak up and share something that I normally wouldn't, right, I'd be an active communicator as opposed to passive aggressive, right, that like, I'm going to walk us to a different outcome. And so I said, you know, knowing is not enough and it's true. You know, you could know why you do all the things you do. Ah, this I'm this way because da 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 da. You could know the whole story, frontwards and backwards. Knowing is not enough. <laughs> Doing has to intersect with knowing, and that's where the integration piece is: is that we have to become accountable and responsible and take ownership for yeah. our choices. And there are things that definitely happen in our lives that force choices and adaptive strategies and coping mechanisms, that's where the accountability piece comes in. And so, yeah, Yeah. it takes some time, certainly. That's why I say lower the bar. Don't, you don't need to have high expectations for yourself, but you do need to recognize this and practice it over and over and over again. And the muscle will grow. Everything you said today, like all those little practices, every question you asked us, all the, all the inner work, all the choosing, it just creates that awareness that like loving awareness to yourself to make that space to choose the or it really is what it is it's so well so I can already see Vienna the pages of notes that our community is going to (laughs) send to us after this episode (laughs) because they be taking notes like I already know this has just been the most valuable delicious juicy conversation I'm so grateful to have been connected with you shout out Mina again (laughs) because now we're all friends like this was so so wonderful and I just encourage anyone that how much this landed with you because I know there's going to be pieces in here that land with everyone like please pick up Vienna's book because this only gets even better into all everything we've been talking about today so I'm so grateful for you well thank you thank you for being here thank you of course thanks for having me this was a wonderful conversation you guys are great How's it going, y'all? It's Aaron. Don't let your Monday suck. Don't have those Sunday scaries. I'm tired of everybody waking up in the week saying, ah, shit, it's Monday. You know what goes down? TMV releases every week on Mondays. Make sure you rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're watching YouTube, yes, TMV has a YouTube. Be sure to subscribe and ring that noti bell and never miss a thing. And also, join the TMV familia by joining the Thoughts May Vary Patreon and by following at Thoughts may vary pod on Instagram and TikTok. Thank you for listening. Great. There you go. Thanks, Nadine. Gotcha.